Welcome back to our Freight Waves Drone Waves Summit. Uh, my name is Kaylee Nix, and I am hosting a session today with Josh Goldstein from Urban Footprint. I had Josh on my show and podcast at your doorstep a couple weeks ago. We were talking about how cities have to adapt to accommodate the future of delivery, specifically around autonomous vehicles and drones. Today, we're going to dig a little bit more into that drone segment and kind of understand where drones are in their development and their deployment as actual mechanisms of delivery vehicles. So, Josh, thank you so much for joining me today. Very glad to get to talk to you again, especially for Drone Waves. Super fun to be back talking with you. Thanks again. So I know that we have talked before, but for our audience who may not be familiar with you, give us a little bit of your background with Urban Footprint, what you do and what the company does as well. Sure. Um, so I'm Josh. I'm the Director of Business Development and Partnerships at Urban Footprint. Um, we help uh, enterprises, governments, mobility companies, and many other uh, organizations transition to a resilient and sustainable and green economy. And we do that through our software platform, um, which allows um, folks to make better decisions about resource allocations, largely related to planning, um, which is, you know, one of the things we can talk about here with drones and, and the urban airspace, um, and also just uh, layering together um, insights around community resilience and climate and hazard risk and the built environment. Um, so understanding how uh, new mobility options, whether they're on the ground with um, uh, you know, uh, new, new types of fleets or whether they're in the air, um, helping to sort of plan, um, their operations as well as their interactions with, uh, government, whether it's city or, or state or, or federal agencies. Um, so, um, very excited to, to dig in on, on this topic. So you guys are kind of a data platform based around planning and understanding the expectations of the future. Tell us a little bit about the data that you guys gather and then what you do with that data to make it useful and digestible to those folks like governments or city planners so that they can actually make decisions based off of that data. Yeah, absolutely. So we have our roots in urban planning. And so what that's meant that over the years, we've built a really, really intensively detailed um, urban um, sort of data platform that goes down to the census block, goes down to uh, the parcel level um, nationwide. And so what that allows our customers to do is essentially run scenarios. So compare different options, whether it's the route of, you know, uh, a new train, um, whether it's the um, carbon intensity uh, decisions related to changes in zoning, um, or more recently, whether it's urban airspace. And so some of the things that we're um, focusing on now with uh, some of our work, um, we've been very uh, excited to do with NASA as a partner to understand the urban airspace, um, helping providers look at things like um, layering on you know, uh, takeoff and landing decisions. What, how does that work in an urban in setting? Um, you know, proposed distribution distribution centers uh, for delivery, 
um, emergency landing locations, um, no fly zones in terms of, you know, flying over schools, um, power plants, um, things that are related to city specific zoning. And, you know, it's important to note that even though drones have now been around for the better part of 20 years um, in in uh, non-military settings, um, the um, we're still in kind of the first inning. And it's actually incumbent and I think a big opportunity for providers and operators to create a dialogue and interact with local government um, and help create the new standards for these operations um, and you know essentially uh, that that I see that as a, a big opportunity for um, uh, strategic positioning in the space. So when we talk about cities and kind of the way that they function today, right now a lot of the movement is in two dimension. It's in that XY plane of flat on the ground for the most part with the exception of like subway travel or like elevated highway systems, right? When we're talking about drones, we're talking about a true 3D airspace. They're going to have to travel in all three dimensions. Tell me about some of the challenges you see with trying to regulate that third dimension. You mentioned coming up with no-fly zones or things like that. What are some of the big actual logistical challenges of trying to navigate whose airspace is whose and how they can use it properly? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's worth um, kind of thinking of the the recent historical timeline of, of where we're at in this evolution, because that kind of informs um, what the regulatory landscape is, which, as, as many in the audience will know, is uh, probably a bigger constraint than any technical issues. Um, you know, so if you go back to 2013, Amazon is, you know, Bezos announces he's looking at drones for package delivery. There's an explosion of um, drone permits over the next few years. Um, the FAA, you know, introduces remote pilot certificates. Um, there's hundreds of thousands of applications awarded for that. Um, and then in 2018, you get um, a program called the Integrated Pilot Program, uh, which is a really cool initiative to allow 10 or so cities uh, or uh, in some cases, counties or states, to test longer range drone delivery, um, largely in really interesting social um, use cases. So like helping farmers monitor crops, checking highways or runways for debris, um, you know, uh, delivery of medicines, uh, something that we've written about recently. And so I just tell that story to emphasize how how early in the game we are in terms of this. Um, and that there, those those are really, it's a great resource. There's actually on the on that site um, for the program. There's a really great set of details on on what those those programs and the partners look like. And I think what they're exploring and and finding is that um, you know the the various challenges um, you know that I mentioned earlier are still um, in their earliest stages. Um, and they're not getting a lot of guidance from local government yet. So, um, you know, even even if they are granted, you know, certification, um, it's called Part 135 certification, which is essentially running a drone drone service, a drone airline, in a sense. Um, they still need for sort of the special dispensation through this program to to operate at longer distances, and so. 
what that's meant is that many uh, cities uh, or local jurisdictions aren't providing guidance about things like route planning, things like takeoff and landing, things like can you fly over um, preschools and uh, emergency landing, these sorts of things. So we're still in the earliest phases of that, and I think that's the biggest practical challenge that that um, folks are facing. I think we're very far from uh, the ideal Jetsons world that we all maybe want to live in in terms of um, having a really crowded urban airspace in that sense, even though there are many, um, many different uh, types of what we call urban air mobility, you know, air taxis and these sorts of things. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what emerges on the regulatory standards side. Um, but again, I think we're still in a place where, you know, operators who want to kind of prove that um, they can have a, a high sort of impact and value can um, can essentially do so and help establish some of these new um, new standards in the space. And I guess the um, the last thing to say on that is um, really looking at it in the context of the broader urban fabric, meaning you know uh, how is this. How are, how are site locations chosen in the context of um, the breakdown of a community, like the community demographics or various aspects of communities in, in terms of like their access to transportation or access to healthcare, um, as well as, you know, uh, just looking at some of those um, logistics, time, you know, distance to uh, a delivery location, these sorts of things. These are all things that we consider scenario planning in terms of, um, you know, they're given a set of uh, sort of things that an operator wants to optimize for. There probably is a right answer in terms of location um, and these sorts of things, but uh, we we want to help kind of make it easier to get to that right answer. Um, and I think that really holds for the space overall in terms of this early stage. So it feels like you guys are almost kind of putting together a set of initial conditions. And it's like how, if, if in an idealized situation, how is this going to perform with this initial condition? What if I change it to this initial condition? How does that affect the performance, correct? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's um, it's almost like a, a funnel. Sometimes we think of it as it's like if you're optimizing for the number of households, you know, with certain characteristics that are within a three mile catchment area, that then also have um, this type of, uh, you know, industrial zone that would be good for takeoff and landing um, and also have, you know, these other, um, you know, uh, characteristics in terms of lack of places that maybe you don't want to fly over, um, you know, making those decisions. And again, from both an operational perspective and from almost the policy dialogue and policy planning um, part of this story. I think there's a lot of folks from city managers to mayors that we've talked to who want to be leaders in this space and are looking for private sector partners um, to to test some of these things. So let's talk about that urban versus the rural aspect of using drones as delivery mechanisms, because in an urban setting, you would expect a drone to maybe take off from a warehouse or a DC, fly 10 to 15 minutes into this urban center, drop off a package and 
a secure Dropbox for a person who's receiving it, fly back to that warehouse and be kind of eliminating that vehicle that's clogging up the roadway or eliminating the manpower it would take to make that last mile delivery. But in a rural setting, we're talking about traveling maybe twice that distance, three times that distance, four times that distance, maybe taking bigger payloads, taking more important payloads, like the medicines that you were talking about. In a rural setting, is there a difference between the cost and the benefit of having to travel those longer distances with the risk for heavier payloads? Or is it more of just kind of a, this is an efficient way to make this happen, so let's do it? Yeah, it's a great question, and I I don't think I have a very precise answer. Um, I think, you know, we're still still learning. We're uh, through our work with NASA doing um, some testing of our platform in terms of the scenarios that this would would um, basically around what you're talking about in both urban and rural settings. And so the um, you know they to your point they have different dynamics. I think the the challenge of last mile delivery in rural has always been the cost structure. Um, and just from a pure technology perspective, it's, you know, uh, there's no comparison. I think there's a Deloitte study showing something like two orders of magnitude um, uh, lower unit cost for doing rural delivery. Um, in urban, there's other benefits, maybe some benefits for shorter trips, which are easier to kind of uh, get approved from a regulatory standpoint. Um, so I think there's really different and interesting dynamics on both sides. Um, I think the, I think there'll be a lot of interesting tests. I think there'll be a lot of um, uh, more, more challenges probably in the urban setting in some ways in terms of dealing with a more crowded environment um, and, and what that means. I think a lot of the um, air taxi pilots that we've been seeing and we've been talking to folks um, are are in more urban airspace as well. So there's interactions in terms of lots more stuff in the air. Um, so I think it's going to be um, going to be interesting to see. One one thing to note is that you know the as many in the audience know, I suspect they're there's still a bit of a a lack of clarity in terms of what you know quote unquote air traffic management looks like in this world um and you know uh in in urban air mobility <clears throat> excuse me i would say above and beyond even just drones um and there's a number of players you know uh working to to establish kind of public private partnerships with the FAA and others to to make a more modern um, sort of air traffic management uh, experience. So that leads directly into my last question. And this is going to be about the human capital of drone utilization. Obviously, drones are not quite to the point where they're going to be flying themselves, where they're going to take off, move, make their delivery, land back. It's going to take a lot to get it to be a truly autonomous drone vehicle, right? So the human capital that we're going to have to invest is going to have to be in those operators that you were mentioning and also in that air traffic management. Where my question is, for those folks who maybe already have a drone pilot license, maybe it's just for recreational use, or maybe they don't have a pilot license at all, but they fly a drone anyways. They fly a drone illegally, per se. How can people who want to be a player in this space, how should they start to work towards being able to play in that space, whether they want to be a pilot, whether they want to be a manager, anything like that? 
And for those people who are already operating, is there going to be any type of competition where recreational drone use would have to be limited to accommodate this actual use as delivery vehicles? They should definitely fly a drone to the top of Everest, <laughs> which is... I think uh, the air is a little thin up there for that. Um, yeah, there's a, a great story in Wired in a new book um, about uh, some folks who were working on that um, that I suggest folks check out. It's just super fun. Um, but, you know, for, for folks who aren't going to make it to that part of the world, um, yeah, I think there's... You know, there there's a lot of different ways to enter this space, and I think the, you know, the um, I I think a lot about it from two ways. One is from the interface with, you know, cities and the urban landscape, of course, um, and the other is kind of from a more entrepreneurial landscape uh, perspective. And I think that from that perspective, it's just super exciting to look at the companies that are emerging. Um, in this space overall, uh, that's true in drones. That's true in you know um, air taxis, Joby, Lithium, Archer. Each have raised over six hundred million dollars recently. Um, and so you know, understanding the sort of startup and more established company ecosystem, I think, is a really interesting way uh, to do it. The, obviously, of course, there's getting the the, the pilot license uh, or getting the operator license as well. Um, but I think the there's going to be a really rich vein of uh, folks who have an expertise at the intersection of the urban uh, air sort of interface. Um, and I think that's what is going to be, you know, that that's what I would urge, you know, folks who are interested in that space to to go explore, because I think we're we're really in the early earliest innings of that. And it's going to be. It's going to be exciting to watch what happens over the next couple of years. 100% agree. And to be a player in the drone space, you don't necessarily have to be able to fly the actual vehicle. Um, there's the founder and CEO of Valkyrie, which is a drone delivery receptacle company. I spoke with him. His name is Ryan Walsh. And he was talking about how they designed this receptacle that's secure for drones to come and drop off the package in. And they have nothing to do with the actual flying, but they are the reception point for that. And it's there's a space I think for everybody, no matter what you do, you just have to be a little bit creative in this space. And hopefully events like this, like drone waves will help kind of encourage some people to step into that space and maybe figure out interesting ways that they can become not necessarily a drone operator, but still involve themselves with drones in the future. Right. Yeah. I mean, think about, think about mobility on the ground, like the, the, the number of, you know, touch points to that is enormous such that it's, you know, along with housing, you know, by far the biggest issue that cities face on a perennial basis and, you know, moving things and people will continue to be that um, as long as we want to go places. And so it's, it's going to be a really interesting ecosystem um, and it's going to be going to be fun to watch. Awesome, Josh. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Drone Waves. If people want to reach out, learn a little bit more about you or about Urban Footprint, where should they go? Check out urbanfootprint.com. Amazing. Enjoy the rest of our summit. We'll be here all day.